course, our strength, our time. It is so good to be back. Happy 2021. And I am incredibly honored to have as our first guest of 2021 and of Black History Month, hey, um, a super dope power lifter, um, pole dancer, like just anything and everything. Um, so I'm going to allow her to introduce herself. Please tell us who you are and what you do. Hi, Bree, and hi to everyone listening. Uh, my name is Sherry, Sherry Miles, um, and I am a powerlifter. Um, so I've been competing in powerlifting for six years now. Uh, and I'm also a pole dancer, which is uh, another hobby of mine and I've been doing that for about seven, eight years. Um, probably more like eight years now. So I'm a pole dancing power lifter, I like to call myself. Um, but I'm also my job is I'm a strength coach uh and uh just a general fitness coach. I'm a personal trainer as well and I have my own business uh which is called Power and Pole. And the whole purpose of that business is to show people how much of a badass they actually are from the inside out. So uh, it's inclusive fitness for everybody, uh, regardless of shape, size, etc. Um, so yeah, it's a platform for everyone to get together to learn how to love themselves from the inside out. Um, so that's me and that's what I do. I love it. I'm so, so happy that you're here um, talking to us today. And you know, it's funny you mentioned part of your your um, job is to show people, you know, how badass they really are. And I'm like, and coming from a badass herself, like I would be so excited to learn from you. So welcome again. Um, so I, I wanted to start off, I, I usually like to ask people, you know, we, we've all had our differing journeys to get to sort of where we are in the fitness space or strength space right now. So I'd love to hear a little bit about, um, you know, sort of you growing up, like as a young woman, as a little girl, what was your relationship um, with athletics, fitness, sports? Were you a tomboy or were you, you know, sort of, did you come into it later in life? Yeah, um, yeah, that's a really cool question, actually. It's not something a lot of people kind of go into lots of detail about all the mm -hmm. time, for obvious reasons. But um, but yeah, like, as a, as a little girl, I was very much, like, average at everything. Um, so academically, I was average. Um, uh, sports, I didn't really excel at as a little girl. Mm -hmm. But when I got to secondary school, which uh, I believe in America is at high school, I mm -hmm. think it's high school, um, like as a teenager, I found sprinting uh, and I found track and field. Um, and I was really good at that. And mm -hmm. I was I was always a tomboy, like I, I didn't really wear makeup or do anything like that. I wasn't overly interested in like boys or things like that. I was just brought up uh, by my dad to kind of study and work hard. Um, and I did. So I think my work ethic was really strong from uh, being a little girl to being a teenager. Like I, I just worked really hard because I was always kind of average. So mm -hmm. being average you either kind of stay there or you try to push further. And that's always what I did. So I was like an average player and I worked really, really hard to become the best or better. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's that's me as a little girl. I 
I loved my girly things, but I was definitely on the tomboy side and I was quite rebellious and um, I got in trouble at school quite a lot. I was quite chatty and I talked back to the teachers, nothing that I'm <laughs> proud of. <laughs> um, but I, I was always, I've always been vocal and I've always been quite outspoken. And mm-hmm. um, it's as growing up as a child, it can be quite detrimental to your learning if you are quite chatty and you talk back to the teachers um you get a kind of negative image put on you but um yeah I, I've always been outspoken a middle player and just you know it's like I love fun and I love making people laugh so I was a bit of a, a comedian in the class um so yeah yeah I didn't sports wasn't I wasn't obsessed with sports you know mm-hmm. like I I didn't have this kind of background where my parents pushed me into sports or anything like that. I just found it um, during PE lessons. I really enjoyed it. And I just did it because I liked it. I was never any any special um, person in terms of athletics and training. So, yeah, I would, I would say I haven't got this glamorous background in any sport whatsoever. Um, but I, I just always had this really intense work ethic mm-hmm. from day one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, it's so interesting hearing you, you talk about that. And, you know, we our stories are our stories and, and you know, our experiences are experiences. But like literally my face right now is like, are you kidding? Average. Oh, my gosh. Like you are amazing. <laughs> and so it's just always so interesting to me how, you know, sort of we perceive ourselves versus how other people perceive us. And I also just wanted to add that being outspoken and being chatty and sticking up for yourself is so badass. And it really sucks that it's not valued in young women as it is in young men, because I think that is, you know, those are the people that go on to be the leaders of the world and learn how to advocate for themselves and others. So I am happy that you were, I am so happy that you were chatty and that you talked back (laughs) because I think that obviously, you know, obviously shaped who, you know, the amazing woman you are today. Um, So a question uh, that I had for you kind of based on what you're talking about. So it's, you know, you have a little bit of an accent. So I'd love to hear a little bit sort of about you, you know, your background, your family, where you're from. Yeah. So um, obviously I was born in the UK in England. Mm -hmm. So United Kingdom has four nations. And like, yeah, I'm I'm an English girl. So Mm -hmm. England, born and bred uh, from the south of England. Um, So, yeah, just outside London. Um, and I've lived here all my life. Um, my parents are from Nigeria, mm-hmm. um, and they were born there. And my dad came over uh, in his thirties, and um, then my mum came over. So I, I was very much brought up with my culture, my Nigerian culture, mm-hmm. understanding it, embracing it. Um, one thing I wish I learned as a child was how to even speak um, their native tongue. I can't. They didn't speak to me in mm-hmm. Nigeria when I was a child to any me or my siblings. So there's like certain words, but they're we're not fluent in it, and that's something that you know is regretful for from their side. Mm-hmm. But I'm very proud of my culture and where I came from and where I come from. I love it. So are there yeah. are there different languages in Nigeria, or is there one sort of main like national language? Oh no! Oh god, there's so many. I think yeah, Nigeria I is up there. Yeah, Nigeria is up there with one of the countries in the world that has the most amount of dialects spoken mm-hmm. in one country. So there's over 500 different dialects. What's your parents' um, native tongue? Speaking. 
so they are from a place called Benin City. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the Yoruba tribe is quite close to that uh, in terms of language. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. it's quite funny because when I hear like my mum speak to somebody else, may, it might be a distant relative who mm-hmm. might, I don't know, is from Lagos and has got slightly different uh, dialects. That there's some words that they don't even understand. So mm. she has to then change into speaking English, mm-hmm. which I find quite funny. It's like this broken right. dialect. Uh, so it's quite funny. So, um, but I, I absolutely am proud of being Nigerian is such an um, uh, awesome thing because that country in itself has so much wealth in different mm-hmm. aspects. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of intellect in that country and the dry, this work ethic that's kind of drilled into people who come from hardship as well. Right. Um, that's what I, I love and embrace uh, about um, the country. So, so yeah, it's, um, and there's just so much happiness as well. Right. Like I think what in the press, like, you know, historically you might see like, Africa as a nation, mm-hmm. uh, all the different mm-hmm. countries in Africa as being deprived and, right. you know, hardship and everything. But actually, the reality of some of it, that is true. Um, mm-hmm. And there's a lot of corruption. Just like anywhere there. else. <laughs> Just like anywhere else. Yeah, right. of course. There's a lot of corruption and there's lots of hardship, of course. But there's so much beauty there. Mm-hmm. Like Port, Har- Port Harcourt in Nigeria is a beautiful place. Mm-hmm. It's like by a by a lake and it's just gorgeous and there's so much beauty there and there's so much passion and fun and energy and i think you see that from a lot of people from the african nations just right. passion fun energy personality bad with it friendliness everything like my mum's always the license of the party mm-hmm. this is what i absolutely love about being nigerian it's like you are party and but also you've got this serious element to you as well. So, right, so yeah, that's, right. that's my background. I mean, I, you know, I, I, I consider um, social media to be a blessing and a curse, of course. Um, but one of, of the things that I do love about it is that I think it's, it's, it's given, you know, a lot of folks from the diaspora an opportunity to change that narrative, right? Because, you know, yeah. I think a lot of people would like to believe um, because, you know, it serves their purposes um, that you're right, you know, Africa is first of all they treat it like one country and it's this very sad oh, no. place with, you know <laughs> people that are starving and you know you i mean we can get into the whole white savior complex all of that mess but i'm so so thrilled that you know those things are opening up and that there are folks out there they're like no um we are bomb we have fly shit too and we have yeah. fun and parties and all of that <laughs> so i i do love to see that and i must tell you that i recently discovered uh nollywood and a lot of the movies, uh, that, girl, <laughs> let me tell you, oh, I don't have to ask yeah. you what your favorite one is, but <laughs> I have been glued to Netflix this whole pandemic, like just dying, loving these movies and the color and the beauty and the pat. So like, funny. They're the best. Anyway, um, so <laughs> <They're great. laughs> you, you bring up an interesting point, though, that um, I wanted to touch on next. So, you know, you talk about kind of having, you know, being born in the UK and having your Nigerian culture and. I'm always curious with with a lot of um, women, particularly black women, how mm. like what your body image was like or what your relationship was like with your body as a child. Because I think for a lot of us, we grow up in a place where we're not the standard. We never are. The standard is tall yeah. and thin and white and blonde. And a lot of us are yeah. not that. And so I'm yeah. curious how 
how that worked for you, just generally speaking, but also kind of being in these two cultures, because I'm sure, you know, what is considered aesthetics, aesthetically beautiful in Nigeria might be different in, in the UK and sort of sort of the European mm. standard. So I'd love to hear a little bit um, about that for, for what that experience was like for you growing up. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, again, that's like another great topic for especially for black women. Right. So yeah, like growing up, um, I was actually like myself and my siblings were all like genetically quite small mm-hmm. framed, like boyish framed. Mm-hmm. We're like, you know, boyish, which um, looking at my family, like from my mom's side as well, there's quite a lot of curvaceous women in, in my family. And uh, so my little sister, she's quite curvy, etc. And then like me and my other sister were quite boyish. Um, so we had um, a bit of an issue mentally. I are you still there? I can't hear you anymore. <laughs> Hello. I'm absolutely here. I was just stirring my tea. I didn't want everyone to hear. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. If you hear okay. me mute, it's just probably because I'm doing something I don't want our audience to hear. So please continue. Uh, okay. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's drinking English tea. I like it. <laughs> um, so yeah, so body image, uh, I did struggle with, but not initially. I think um, maybe for other women, they might resonate with this too. But I only became really like aware of kind of what I look like when I started secondary school, your mm-hmm. high school. Um, that's when I became really like conscious about it. I went to an all girls school and I was one of the only two black girls in my whole year. Mm-hmm. Um, so that in itself was a bit like, oh, okay, hey, look at this. I'm, I'm not really represented around here, but it wasn't a problem. And I've never made it an issue because my dad has always said to me, you're great, you're great, you're great. And he's never made my, my skin color an issue with me. So Ooh, I went I to that. secondary school. Uh, he, he didn't really talk. He just said, you're good because of this, 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 this. You've mm-hmm. got nice hair because of this. You know, he, he, he didn't always talk about being black. He just said, this is why you're good. So, you know, I started school and I didn't have a problem with it. Uh, and then, you know, I think my issues started to come about when I got into sports. Uh, and then when I got into sports, my body started changing. I started mm-hmm. getting slightly more muscular. And then there was a lot at the time, there was a lot of press about uh, Serena Williams. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. back in those days, like Serena Williams has been around for years and years and years. And back right. in those days, Serena Williams was pinned up as a masculine figure. She right. was seen as, people would refer to her as she looks manly. It's different now. Serena is like, you know, queen. And yeah. she was always Unfortunately, queen. some people still spew that ignorance, but you're right. <laughs> yeah, they do. They do. And so I, I kind of looked at her and I thought, oh, like, I think she's beautiful. I'm wrong. And I thought, I'm wrong. I'm wrong. And I've, I'm developing a shape a bit like her. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, I'm not, I'm ugly. And I didn't see my hair anywhere. Like, I, mm-hmm. I actually started a job. And this was... Uh, the first time I was like, oh, okay, yeah, I, my hair's not great. So mm. I, I started a job in when I was really young, when I was like 16 in the supermarket, and um, I had braids in my hair. And I like, someone made a comment like, oh, is that is that really professional? And I was like, huh? Because <laughs> I had a weave, and a weave obviously to you know the, a Caucasian person into the right. the white the white world that I lived in. 
a weave is like acceptable hair. So, you know, you've got right. straight hair, you've got straight hair. Uh, and then I had this, and they said, is it professional? And then I started to have all sorts of image issues with my hair, like mm-hmm. um, where I felt like a professional look wasn't a black look. Mm-hmm. So I kind of conflated the two uh, from, a, from a young age. Like, and then I didn't have braids in my hair. I, uh, braids went from my life for like 10 years. Right. Um, because of that, because uh, you're very uh, influenced as a young woman and you think, if I want to get on in the world, I had all sorts of aspirations. I can't have this unprofessional look. Mm-hmm. So I did mm-hmm. everything I could in my power to look more professional. And looking back, that just meant looking more Caucasian in, right. in other ways. Um, so uh, my body, I mean curvaceous came in quite recently I would say Mm -hmm. but you know being thin um back then was desirable and you know like looking at some of my family members a bit more curvaceous and this the color of our skin um was always miss it wasn't represented anywhere um we had like Naomi Campbell we had Serena Williams Mm -hmm. and these Mm -hmm. people were seen as either uh they were they're painted as either like angry bullies or right. uh you know like naomi campbell the most successful supermodel but she's angry she's a diva mm-hmm. and then which, we've got serena which now we realize she just has boundaries that you will not cross exactly now <laughs> she's a boss lady now she's someone you should look up to as a being a boss lady like exactly. that attitude yeah. but back then she was see she was like completely vilified oh she's angry she's but yeah exactly you're right boundaries mm-hmm. it's so important uh, and then Serena as well, absolutely killing her game professionally, mm-hmm. but put that to one side. Other things she got slated for, like she had a, tant- a tantrum on the, the pitch. I mean, but again, right. she's asserting her authority. She's got and, the right And how to many it. white people have we seen throw a tantrum on the tennis court? Oh, uh, God. Endless. I mean, I, don't, I can't even count all of them. But yet when she does it, and, and rightfully so, because she's being disrespected, it's an issue. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And so I, do you know what happened to me during school? I got, because I was chatting, I was a back chatter. Mm-hmm. I got labeled as the angry girl, the angry one, or mm-hmm. like the the mad one, or, you know, into, and it, it, it stemmed into my work career. I worked in corporate and I got quite uh, high up. Mm-hmm. I worked in a medical corporate business and um, I was the only black female manager in my company and uh, this is a, a, a global company. Mm-hmm. I was the only one. And time after time, I was told I was intimidating. I was like, why the hell am I intimidating? No, I'm you're friendly, intimidated. <laughs> There's a difference. Exactly. And I was like, and then, but in the moment, you know, you don't really think too hard about it. You're like, cool, I'm, I'm trying to do my work. You right. know, say what you want. Um, but I was told I was intimidating. I'm, I'm scary. I'm like, when have I actually scared you? Uh, right. I don't quite understand this language. I'm scary. I'm intimidating. But, you know, I'm just trying to get on and do my work and I'm mm-hmm. not messing around. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think language as a young person is extremely important. Mm-hmm. Uh, how, how we uh, talk about our black women who are trying to be out there and lead from the front is highly important. And... Um, Seeing somebody represented, so Naomi Campbell, but her la- the language around her needs to be right. It's not enough just to be there, uh, and it's not enough just to see other people of the same colour skin as you. Right. For me, 
um, it's the language around it because, you know, as I said to you when I started, I didn't have a problem when I started secondary school. I didn't mm-hmm. have a problem with my image. I didn't have a problem with my hair. I didn't have a problem being black. It was all of this uh, surrounding um, language around directed towards me right. that then made me start to question things. Yeah, yeah. It, ugh, I, I'm like you know, just reacting over here because I think so many of us have had that same story. Like no matter where we are around the globe, it's, it's, I hear it again and again and again, you know, and it's just, it's good to talk about because I think people recognize that they're not alone, but, um, it sucks. It does suck. Um, (laughs) um, so I'm curious to, to know, you know, you talked about, uh, being into getting into track and, and, you know, sort of that was your thing. And I'm, I'm curious to hear, um, about how you actually got into lifting and, um, you know, how has that impacted you um, when we talk about body image and, and all of those things as well? Yeah, um, I have to I always say, like, I, the impact lifting has had on me has changed my life um, mm-hmm. and has changed my self-esteem. So um, I'm going to obviously be open with you. Mm-hmm. I had I went through a period, and it's very recent, um, I went had to go through therapy. Mm-hmm. And uh, as as a child, I my childhood was quite difficult because my mum left the family home mm-hmm. when I was eleven years old. So mm-hmm. I had this breakup, and right. they separated. And growing up as a teenager, um, I kind of was from my mum's to my dad's, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Mm-hmm. So um, that was something you know you just get through, right? You don't as a child, you don't even know how to be mature about it because you're trying to learn, right? So. I, I kind of got through through all of that. Anyway, it, it turns out that my self-esteem was has always been through the floor, bad. Mm. Like, But this only kind of came about um, in recent times. Mm-hmm. And I would say lifting has changed, has helped bring out this, uh, a positive sort of, um, I don't even know how to put it. Like I look at myself in a completely positive way mm-hmm. instead of trying to pick myself apart because I know what my body can do, not just based on what it looks like. So that's what lifting has given me. It's like I can, I look at my trophies, I'm like, I've done this with my body and my mind. I haven't done this based on what I look like. Um, So that's what lifting has given me. It's given me the biggest gift. You can't even buy that to, Mm -hmm. to know you physically achieved something but it's been your body that you've cursed for so many years right. that has actually done that. It's not just the fact you look, oh, you, you, you look great, you know, you've mm-hmm. got some biceps. It's the fact you have mentally worked a program or done something, and that is the result. So that's mm-hmm. what lifting has, has done for me. But um, in terms of kind of getting into it, it was total accident, um, I would say, like, because I hate, I didn't, I hated the gym. That was <laughs> number one. Uh-huh. I, that's why I got into pole dancing because I was like, hell no, am I going into a gym? A gym's mm-hmm. the last place I want to be. I don't want to be looked at. I don't want to be judged. I hate. I don't. I like. I don't want to be that. And I was like, I want something fun. So I found pole. Found pole dancing, and then my pole teacher said to me, "You know what, Sherry? You would be so so strong. You're already strong, but you'll be so strong if." you did this, this, and this, which meant I had to go into a gym. Mm-hmm. 
you know. Mm, interesting. Okay. So I, I strolled into the gym and um, I was doing all sorts of crazy things because I'm, st- I'm stubborn. I don't want to <laughs> ask you for help. Right. Don't, don't need your help. I'm fine. <laughs> That's mm-hmm, why I didn't mm-hmm. want to go to the gym. Because I was like, let me just figure this out. I hate asking for help, which is a, a bit of a flaw sometimes. Mm-hmm. But I don't, I don't like asking for help too much. But uh, so I, I went in and then his personal trainer was quite persistent with me uh, because he saw that I had potential but I didn't know what the hell I was doing mm-hmm. so he kind of took me under his wing gave me a few pointers and then you know we started training and then he was like you are so ridiculously um like raw talent you just pick up a, a barbell and things start flying mm-hmm. so he said have you heard about powerlifting I was like no what's that he showed me some of the divisional records, like the regional ones. I was like, you know, you're this body weight, you're very close to this record and you don't even train for it. So um, how how about you just try it, see how it goes? And it, it was a case of, okay, this is fun. It was all fun. There was no seriousness in it. Hey, let's go. And I did my first powerlifting competition. And as you probably know, you do your first <laughs> competition and that is it. You're sucked in. Oh, it's over. Life. Yeah. You either love it or hate it. A hundred percent. And that that's it. You know, that simple. You, you do it once. As mm-hmm. you, you rightly said, you decide that's not for me or you're sucked in. Right. Uh, and, and that's how I started. Wow. Love it for sight. Um, so are, as far as powerlifting is concerned right now, are you sort of what are you what are you doing currently? Are you um, just kind of taking some time off? Are you in compete mode? Like what are you, what's happening with powerlifting right now for you? Um, I'm not in compete mode. Okay. I, I'm not, I'm one of the I'm one of the lifters. I don't know if you feel the same or any of your kind of crew feel the same, but I'm one of the these lifters at the moment. I'm like, thank God there are no powerlifting competitions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a, a lot of yeah. people are, yeah. are quite itching to, to do it. I'm the opposite. I'm like, thank God I've got time to uh, rest, mm-hmm. heal, build, figure out what I want to do properly. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm grateful for the time. Uh, the times have been hard, but I'm grateful for that time to take a step back, actually, and not keep pushing, 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 mm-hmm. pushing. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm a lifter who is in just training to get as strong as I possibly can right now mode. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I love it. So yeah, I'm I'm training. I'm, I'm, I write my own programming now. I was mm-hmm. coached by Blaine Sumner mm-hmm. um, for a while because I do both equipped and raw, okay. uh, and he's he's an amazing equipped lifter. Mm-hmm. So um, he did my programming uh, leading up to a few equipped international competitions, and now we're not in competition season. It makes sense for me to I know about programming, so I've been doing my own programming and. Um, so I'm just like having fun with the small amount of equipment I've got at home. Mm-hmm. I'm still progressively overloading with the intention to get stronger. But, you know, I'm just fighting this battle between myself. Get stronger. Do the next cycle. Get stronger. Do the right. next cycle. Right. Rest when right. I need to. Don't put any pressure on myself. Yeah, I hear you. It's such it's such a vicious cycle sometimes. Um, so I, I wanted to talk a little bit about, um, so, you know, the whole thing with the chocolate bar was, you know, I didn't see anybody who looked like me really doing powerlifting and strength sports, which I was so intrigued by. So that's kind of where that came from. And, you know, I'm, I'm overjoyed at at the amount of exposure that, you know, black women in, in these sports have gotten, but there still aren't enough. 
Um, and I guess mm. my question for you is, you know, when you think about that and when you look at that, um, mm. you know, w- what are what are some of the reasons that you think that um, we're still underrepresented in, in powerlifting in particular? Um, I this is a, a good one, a good question, because um, I was I don't, you obviously know Joy Namani, right? Mm-hmm. She's, yep. I, uh, she's the queen. Um, yes. So in British powerlifting, she's the strongest by mm-hmm. country mile. And uh, she's the absolute queen. And um, we just had like a, a quick exchange the other day. And we we're saying, you know, we've never really felt a problem in, in UK powerlifting of being mm-hmm. black in terms of being held back. Right. So like right. in a workplace, it's, it could, it's slightly different. And I've had cases where I felt like a bit held back. But right. in powerlifting, I said to Joy, you know, you're the strongest woman. Like you definitely haven't been held back. You know, you, mm-hmm. you go, you're doing your thing. I haven't been held back. Um, so in terms of being good there's nothing to stop us but right. the, the the good uh, question there is um why are we not getting like a lots of kind of exposure on equal level mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um and personally i think talking as a woman because i can't really talk as a man because i i think for a long time men in fitness in general a black men have been getting slightly more exposure right to the, the general public, let's say, than black women. I think that's always been a thing. Black women have always struggled in fitness to get that exposure. Black men have got it a little bit more naturally. Mm-hmm. And I think the reason for that is because aesthetically, a black man look, is the genetic god, aesthetically, right? right? So, yep. <laughs> you know, that's, that's the way it is, okay? And so it's acknowledged by all races that, mm-hmm. you know, black men, aesthetic god, Whereas it's not when it comes to the female frame or shape. Right. So in powerlifting, we amazingly have all different shapes and sizes. This is what I love about it. Mm-hmm. But I think any sport is still related to aesthetics yep. in some shape or form. And I think this is why black women might not be pushed up to the, the forefront. Because aesthetically, when you look at fitness and like what black women are represented in, flip, in fitness is quite small. Mm-hmm. So then if you make it even more niche in powerlifting, right. then it gets even smaller. So therefore we're not gonna be put up there unless we look a certain way mm-hmm. uh, in order to get, project us forward. And that's the reality of being a woman. You look a certain way, you might get more exposure. And if you fit in that box, then you get even more exposure. Right. So. Um, I, I think that might be to do with it. I think it might be as simple as, you know, how it looks to the eye. I think, you mm-hmm. know, platforms like Instagram are visual platforms. Right, and, true. And they rely on engagement. Mm-hmm. So if, let's take, for example, a sports brand is, you know, taking on a new powerlifter, they want engagement, they want to increase their engagement. They're going to be thinking about all of these things, all of these factors. It's not just how strong that person is, but are they going to sell our product well? Right. Do they look right? Do they this, this, this? And when you narrow it down, a black woman comes quite low down on the list, even mm-hmm. though she might be the strongest. Um, so I, I personally think that is the reason why, because we're not ticking all the all of these stupid boxes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So true. So what advice would you give to, you know, just 
a, a, a woman, either a young black woman or, you know, our age or older that is like, you know, I want to try powerlifting. It looks really cool. I'm intimidated. I don't see people, you know, that look like me doing it. I don't even know where to start. What, what advice would you give them if they were interested in trying powerlifting? I would say first thing is, because, you know, if they're struggling, they think, oh, I don't really want to try because there's no one that looks like me. And will I get picked out? And, you know, will right. they even like my lifting? Will the judges like red light me because I'm black? And all the things that you, when you say it out loud, you're like, oh, is that stupid? It's right. not. They're, they're right. all valid. Right? Yeah. It's all valid. If you feel it, it's valid. So I would, I would say the first thing to do is you don't know until you've tried. Mm-hmm. And, that is the same with anything. If if you are concerned, and I think fear holds a lot of people back, uh, fear of maybe looking stupid or being humiliated or being hurt, mm-hmm. then reach out to people and ask. And if you don't see anyone that looks like you to ask, I would say reach out to a coach who coaches people and ask them, do you coach this certain person or Hmm. do you know this person um because the powerlifting scene actually is quite small so if i wanted to speak to kim wolford i would message her but if i was new i would be like oh maybe i won't message kim but let me see if i can message this other lifter who i know knows kim Mm -hmm. and ask you know for to speak to her directly do you mind if i ask just a few questions you know reaching out to someone because everyone's pretty friendly and, and people do want to help. And if you just want you know, a, a five minute chat or I don't know, an exchange, I would say number one is you don't know to try. So right. at least try. And number two, reach out in some capacity to somebody. And if you don't see anyone who looks like you reach out to someone else, it could be like an old white dude who mm-hmm. coaches six people. Cool. Right. Reach out to him. He knows the sport and say, you know, I feel a bit worried. And these coaches deal with people all the time mm-hmm. who have all sorts of feelings. Um, so they're, they're not judgmental people. Uh, so reach out to a professional coach in the sport and, and try it. And see if you can find um, a gym where there are other people who do something similar or other people who... Um, that you like it doesn't need they don't need to be power lifters just a vibe find a right. vibe and i think if you find a vibe everyone thrives find in their different areas oh yeah I love that i'm that's listen i'm writing that down that's gonna be one of my new mantras <laughs> find a vibe i will give yeah. you credit of course <laughs> that's such yeah, that is such great advice it really is and you know what on that note find a vibe um, I wasn't the only one who did powerlifting, but I was one of, in my gym, but I was one of the first to start. And then we grew this like tribe because oh, yeah. everyone was like, I want to join that party. So right. you just find cool people. And then one of them could be a runner. One of them could be, you know, whatever, a weightlifter, but right. you all boost each other up and just push and encourage and encourage. And, you know, and I would say that you, you just must start it's somewhere, somewhere. Yeah. And it doesn't yeah. matter just created and they'll come right exactly yeah i love that um so of course you know i just wanted to talk to you forever um and obviously because you are just such an amazing athlete and a strength athlete but be- also because 
pole. Hello. Like that is just so <laughs> fascinating to me. Um, and you know, I, you are just amazing to watch. It's just like poetry in motion. So oh. I would love, love to, to talk to you a little bit about that. And, you know, first of all, find out, you know, how you got started, like, you know, did you find pole or did it find you? And then how does it impact your lifting? Well, have you tried pole dancing? Oh boy, many, many moons ago in the dark ages, um, I went to, you know, they they had those classes that were like, you could have a birthday party at a studio. And, um, you yeah. know, I went to one or two of those and I, I, I enjoyed it. I just, you know, for whatever reason, I just kind of had other things going on. But honestly, like I've really been like, maybe I will try it again soon. So I think it's coming yeah. back on my bucket list. So anyway, proceed. Cool. <laughs> good. No, good. Because, um, I think it's something everyone should try because why not? The same reason I think everyone should pick up a barbell. I think everyone should try pole dancing. Why the hell not? It's nothing to lose. Um, But but I got into pole dancing um, like, yeah, two years before I started lifting. Um, Mm -hmm. And I found it because I was just on Google looking at ways to get fit without going to the gym. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love it. I think I even remember the searches were literally how to get fit without going to the gym or how to get strong without going to the gym. Mm -hmm. Um, And it didn't immediately come up. Uh, Now it would, but it it just, it didn't. Um, And then I got on Instagram. um, I got on, what was I on? Oh yeah, Facebook. Mm-hmm. And then I saw someone, you know, the the videos that used to go really viral on Facebook. Yeah. I saw a video of this amazing pole dancer who, uh, she's a Australian pole dancer, Michelle Shimmy. She did this routine to Kings of Leon and mm. it was art. It was artistic. And I was like, wow. And so I looked up pole dancing classes and I, I never looked back like mm-hmm. powerlifting. I went there. I did my first lesson and the next day I couldn't raise my arms above my head. <laughs> and I was like, I thought this was meant to be sexy. And now right. I've got, I've got <laughs> like, doms. Now I can't move. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've got doms and I can't move. And what is this? And then, mm-hmm. you know, I, I saw how strong they were, like holding their body weight up, like flagpoling on the pole. Right. And I was like, this is just so badass. And I, I'm a bit of a... a a showman sometimes I like doing things like that and I that's what drew, drew me into it um and just the sheer strength it is harder than powerlifting mm, interesting. more difficult because you are twisting and turning your body mm-hmm. in in ways you wouldn't in static lifting and powerlifting right. um and it transfers really well into powerlifting uh through core strength but mm-hmm. the other way round, powerlifting gives nothing to your pole dancing. <laughs> okay. Um, other than strength, because mm-hmm. in pole dancing you you need to be you need to be quite strong body wise, but you also need to be mobile, not mm-hmm. flexible, not flexible, but you need to be mobile in order for things to look fluid and, gotcha. and artistic. So what powerlifting does, if you do obviously a lot of bench pressing, as you know, your shoulders might rotate forward a bit and uh, you need to then have the strength to then bring them back into position, not be lazy with your posture and Mm -hmm. twist your shoulder backwards whilst your hands are on top of the pole 
if you're doing a pole move. So in terms of pole translating into powerlifting, ah, it's amazing because you your core strength, your mobility improves from doing mm-hmm. pole dancing. You're stretching more through your movements. Um, so it's great for powerlifting. And it, it as a powerlifter, I don't. How are you with your stretching? Like, are you good with your stretching? Uh, what do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> I do my mobility. Uh, <laughs> dang, why you gotta put me on the spot? No, I, I, and that's one of the reasons I've been thinking about it. Like, just, just, you know, getting better at it. I used to, you know, I was a yeah. yoga fanatic for many, many, many years. But you know, as I knew, oh, cool. if you, if you don't use it, you lose it. So, and. Mm-hmm. Being quarantined has not helped at all. So um, I I have been being more intentional about, you know, just doing my mobility before I train, but I need to, I would like to get better at doing it even on the days that I don't train. So exactly, um, exactly. Paul, when you, when you start, because I'm saying when, when you start your (laughs) Paul lesson. (laughs) Did I remind you how old I am? (laughs) There's no age limit on this. (laughs) <laughs> okay okay but yeah it, it, it forces you to to focus on it so yeah that's that's why i like it do you find that um or how do you find having to kind of flip the switch like you know pull today uh you know bench tomorrow or like do you find yeah. it difficult to go back and forth uh no no it's really easy um i it's 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 like following a program when you do kind of like bulgarian split squats one day Mm-hmm. And then, which which are hell. I'm like, oh, God, this is hell. And then you're doing, like, a really sexy uh, pole move. It's, like, so empowering, and it's a bit of a release to mm-hmm. just go, you know what? Like, I, I don't want to – I don't really want to squat, but I know tomorrow – I get these squats done. I know tomorrow I can just have fun on the pole and uh, just, yeah. like, dance it out and, and things like that. So it breaks it up, you know. Mm-hmm. As, you, as you know, powerlifting – if you're training seriously, it's not always going to be fun, sunshine, rainbows, and right, woo. right. There's right. going to be days where you're just like, oh, this is repetitive. Like, yeah, exactly. Powerlifting, um, pole dancing breaks it up mm-hmm. really nicely. Yeah, mm-hmm. I love it. I love it. Um, so one of the things I wanted to talk about, um, and I think you know, I it, it's interesting because I remember you know I would I started following you on Instagram, and you know you were there and you were you know, posting about powerlifting and pole. And I would love to just watch your videos and, you know, all of that stuff. And then I feel like I looked up one day and I was like, you know, I haven't seen Sherry in a while. What's going on? Mm. Um, and I hadn't, you know, I, I, and I didn't know if I just was out of the loop or maybe you had taken a break or something. And then you, I remember there was a video that you did and you kind of popped back up and you talked a little bit about taking a break. And I think yeah. one of the things that st- stuck out to me was that, you know, once again, you know, one of the issues, particularly in the black community is that we, we don't address enough is mental health. And Uh um, I remember kind of, you know, listening to, you know, the things that you were saying, it just really struck me Mm. because I'm like, wow, you know, we we do need to talk about this. Right. Um, Yeah. And and destigmatize it so that, you know, because, you know, I think for a lot of reasons, you know, we're one of the communities that's hurting the most and have the least Mm -hmm. access to mental health care and and, um, resources. And so I was wondering if you could share with us a little bit about that and kind of, you know, what initiatives for you or what things out for you kind of came from that from that movement yeah um yeah it's it's true it's something that's seen as a bit of a stigma because i think you know in in the black community you are i think the way i can 
describe it. In the UK, this is how it is. And maybe mm-hmm. it's the same in the US. But black and Asian communities, like ethnic uh, background communities, they, in, within their own families, have this very strong, tight-knit, close relationship. Mm-hmm. And what happens with that is it's like, we must be seen to be working harder than any, anyone else, oh, yes. be more successful than anyone else. And we need to be seen as strong, not failing. And mm-hmm. competition within those communities is strong. I know from growing up, competition from like my mum's friends to my dad's friends, you know, all this circle, competition is strong. Like, who's got the best dress? The right. competition. And what happens is parents use their children as my child's more intelligent than yours. Mm-hmm. My child's gone to this university. Look at my child. She's this. She's this. She's got this. And in black and Asian communities in the UK, that's such a big thing. I know of Asian communities, it's like a lot of them become doctors. The parents are like, then you must be the most educated, you know? Right. And so this, that's, that's how it is. So that sort of pressure to be like perfect mm-hmm. um, is no one ever meets that expectation that they put on themselves. So what happens is if you are from that background and you have got this expectation, you must be strong, you must be this, you must be that, then it makes it a little bit harder to talk about the problems that occur um, in your head. And right. of course, we're humans. And so when you don't talk about these problems, what happens is you create more problems from the issues you don't talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, and I learned this through therapy. It's like, everyone says, you must talk, you must talk. It's not as simple as, you know, waking up one day and going, I'm going to tell my dad I feel like this. Um, right. Because you feel like you let people down or you feel like you're a burden and you mm-hmm. feel like you should be, the, like in my family, I'm the oldest out of my siblings. So they've always looked up what I do. They look up to me. So I feel like I let them all down if I'm having a bad day. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- that's personally what happened with me. Like I, I had problems with my self-esteem. I never dressed from the age of like 10, 9, 10, 11. Mm-hmm. I, had, I had these problems. But the way I dealt with these problems was to just be better in, right. in everything else. Like have a good job title, earn money, have a good car. I never, I, I just had to have this facade of right. everything looks good. So no one could question me too much, you know, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. that happened. And um, so what happened with me is I am a bit of a perfectionist. So if something isn't right, um, I won't talk about it at mm-hmm. all. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had this imposter syndrome. And I think the funny thing is a lot of black people do, black women. Oh, yeah. uh, if if you're not, if you look around the, the table and you're the only, you're like, how did I get here? Oh, it must be a fluke, you know. <sighs> so imposter syndrome is rife in peop, ethnic people and oh, yeah. black Asian, and imposter syndrome leads into severe mental illness if it's yeah. not addressed. Um, so this is where we need to get people. We need to get people and tell them they are worthy of being in that position. They worked mm-hmm. for it. And yes. it's not because it's a fluke. You, you, you have worked for it because you are good at what you do. Right. Um, but I didn't have, I didn't have that. I didn't have that uh, ability to speak because everyone saw me as successful. People saw me as you're great, and it puts more pressure on you because you right. think everyone thinks I'm happy inside. I'm dead. <laughs> There's nothing right. there. Yeah. Um, 
uh, but everyone sees me as this happy person. And then there comes a, a moment where you, it, it all kind of comes crumbling down. Everyone can see you are struggling or you disconnect. Mm -hmm. And in my case, I just disconnected. Mm -hmm. um, way before kind of, you know, um, I went out public and said, you know, I need, I need a break. I right. disconnected with a lot of things in my life. Mm -hmm. um, and anyway, it came to a head and I went through therapy. But, you know, mm -hmm. what I would say mm -hmm. to any, like, especially a young black woman who is going through this and might have all these expectations and a weight on her shoulders is I would say if you can talk to just one person mm -hmm. and, and if you can say to them, one thing that you're worried about it doesn't need to you don't need to go into details let's say you've you you have been diagnosed with depression and you're taking antidepressants you don't need to go into all of those details but you you can just find one person whether it's a friend and just say i'm worried about and it has if you can be specific as much as possible say right. i'm worried about that my uh, friends don't really like well this person doesn't really like me that's something i had a problem with i thought people pretended to like me um mm -hmm. uh, so i just say say out loud to somebody and they will say something quite reassuring right. um and then you open up a conversation and you end up talking about a whole load of other things right and then you realize you know maybe those thoughts are in your head or you realize that you need to talk more or you want to talk more mm -hmm. um and you realize that you're not a burden just one one thing because i think talking's scary so yeah, when be. people say yeah and people say just talk you don't have to talk a lot of a lot of detail you can just say you know like i woke up today and i've had this headache all day um and i'm i'm worried that you know something's wrong I'm not quite right. sure. And then then it kind of just opens the floodgates. But yeah. um, it, it's difficult. And if you can't talk to your family, because I couldn't, I mm -hmm. couldn't, and not because they're not supportive, because I'm, I know they are. I couldn't because I felt like they relied on me to be strong. Right. So I couldn't. So I just spoke to somebody who, uh, it ends up being a friend, um, but I just said I just said one one line, and they knew because they know me. They knew something wasn't right. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And in terms of getting access, I have to say I'm lucky. Uh, what happened in my case at the time um, was I somebody got help for me. Uh, I wasn't in the right frame of mind. I let it go too far. Right. Um, and so, if you are in a position where it's gone too far, the only, in personally, the only thing I would say is you need to get professional help. Um, but in my case, it went too far. But I think if I look back, there could have been many opportunities right. to stop it from going too far. Like I ended up in hospital mm -hmm. um, because it got to the point where it got too far, and I was way, I was on antidepressants, and I was really way, way, I'm just very unwell. Um, mm -hmm, but you mm -hmm. know, I know, I know now. If had I have spoken just simple things beforehand, um, that that it maybe may not have spiraled so much in my head. Yeah, yeah. And like you said, you know, you you were doing the best that you could at that in that given moment, right? And yeah, you know, now you know. Like if you you know feel a certain way, now you can kind of 
you know, be more proactive because you've had that experience. So, I mean, I, for one, am thankful that you got the help that you needed and that you're back in here. Um, Thank so you. I'm, I'm very happy for that. <laughs> but you, you do, you bring up a lot of good points. And I think, you know, it's interesting for me listening to your experience, um, you know, culturally, and you sort of talk about kind of that inter- cultural competition. I know, you know, as an, as an, uh, black American for me, you know, what I've sort of seen isn't so much kind of the intercultural competition. I mean, you know, our parents brag on us, of course, but what I, I think what I grew up with and where that pressure came from was the, you know, every, every black American black kid I know for a fact gets this talk at some point where your parents sit you down and say, you have to work twice as hard to get yeah. as far as white folk. Right. Yeah. And you yeah. just internalize that from a really young age. And like, you don't, and again, you don't realize until later on the, the incredible pressure that puts on you, you know, or there yeah. or causes you to put on yourself. And, and like you cool. said, a lot of the same things that can come crashing down on you and also, you know, accompanied with coupled with the fact that, you know, in our communities, what, you know, what, what, what a parent say, don't air your dirty laundry, keep family business, business. you don't talk about family business on the street, right? So if you have an issue, if you have an issue and this, you know, it, it, it goes over into so many different things, whether it's an issue with your own mental health, whether it's an issue with abuse or sexual, like all of these things, you know, I think for a lot of our families kind of, you know, in the past and, and growing up, that was, you keep it to yourself. You keep up appearances, such a good point. right? And that's I think, such a good point. Yeah. And I think that, you know, that really parallels along with kind of the, you know, the, the interaction that you described with a lot of, you know, families of African descent and Asian American, mm. other, you know, ethnic minorities too. I hear the same stories. It's like you, you see these outward manifestations of success, but you don't realize mm. until later that that person, like you said, is dead inside or falling apart. And, you know, I yeah. think the only thing that we can do is take that information and do better. Like I, I try to be mm. so, so mindful of how I interact with my son. He'll be 17 tomorrow. And, you know, the messaging that I give him, you know, I, I try to really focus more on who you are as a person. It's important to be successful. It's important to do well, but I want you to be a good human. I want you to have this good human experience and experience joy as a black boy and a black man. Right. And And so I have to catch, yeah. And I have to catch myself sometimes. Right. Because, you know, Mm. he gets, he gets, uh, you know, he's a straight A student. So he's like, Oh, you know, I got a 98%. And in my mind, like, Oh, what what questions did you miss? But I'm like, don't do that. You know, (laughs) Oh my God, that's, I'm so proud of how hard you worked. Right. And I try not to focus on the, the, I'm proud that you got an A. No, I'm proud that you put forth your best effort, right? And I, yeah. I pray that those things make a difference, right? Because it is, it. I don't want him to to experience those same feelings that his mom felt. Like you talked about, you know, the imposter mm. syndrome, the, you mm. know, just being, you know, outwardly having these manifestations of success and being so depressed on the inside and not understanding why and feeling guilty because you're not, you know, I was a lawyer for a long time and then I didn't want to be a lawyer anymore. And it took me so long to tell my parents that, you know, because I, yeah, like, I can imagine I was going to break their heart. Right. And that wasn't the case at all. But, you know, anyway, I, I just say all that to say it's interesting how we, you know, we have these parallel experiences, even if they're not exactly the same. So I just, yeah, you've hit the net. Well, no, thank thank you you. for sharing that because I think people listening to this, you know, like you said, even if it's just that one person that goes, wow, okay, I'm not crazy. These things are really real. And, you know, maybe I should talk to someone. So 
I, I appreciate you so much for that. But I did want to ask you one question that kind of stemmed from that. So you talked a little bit about, you know, how your family supports you. Mm. How, how has their support been with you in terms of, you know, your powerlifting and pole dancing? You know, I'm, I'm, I would imagine that's not necessarily sort of a traditional path a lot of folks take, um, especially black folks. So I'm, I'm curious to no. kind of, and your friends too, like, what do they think about all of this? Yeah, it, initially it was a bit like, we don't understand. Right. When someone doesn't understand something, they like, yeah, they, they do what you love doing. This is good. But they don't, they can't really get on board because they don't understand right. why you want to do it. Um, and that, that was a big issue. So no one understood what I wanted to do. Like none of my friends outside powerlifting um, understood what powerlifting is. They, mm-hmm. they don't, they just think, oh, so when do you press it above your head? Like a weightlifter. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> They're just like, Oh, you're a crossfitter? I'm like, yeah. not exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, when are we going to see you on TV? All of that stuff. So it's right. really hard to, to explain. But to my family, um, if I'm honest, like at first when I did it, they thought I was just, uh, uh, you know, finding another fitness fix. Mm-hmm, Didn't quite mm-hmm. understand the levels of importance it, it meant to me. So... Um, for my mum in particular, she was a little bit, um, she she loved the first competitions. And then as the years went on and she saw I was serious about it, her um, enthusiasm for it actually got less. She mm, became less supportive. And it's the same with anyone in my life. Mm-hmm. Anyone in my life who wasn't part of powerlifting, slowly over time has, has become less supportive. Um, mm. And I think what's happened is that their ideal of where they saw me uh, maybe as a 34 year old woman isn't where I am and it's not their fault like with my mum she saw me having a child by now that that was her thing (laughs) and I I don't so she's a bit like I in her head and we've had this conversation she's like you've chosen powerlifting over having a child and you know I've I've had had that conversation with her that's not the case but um even though she supports what I do she wants me to be happy she had this idea of me in her head and it hasn't gone that way that's why the support has slowly dwindled because she saw how ecstatic I was doing it to start off with and she's like I'm so proud of you you're you know you're winning all this stuff this is really cool but how do I when a parent's proud they they explain it to their friends like oh my my daughter's doing this and in the black community powerlifting what is that why are you so happy right, right. Where, where's the child this is right. what we want to be happy about we want to be right. happy she's having babies and you're right. coming to us telling us she's lifting some weights like <laughs> so <laughs> uh and and what um but what's been a blessing you know you said uh, social media is a blessing and curse it really is mm-hmm. what has been a blessing is exposing my family to what I do via social media and it speaks for itself because explaining it isn't the same as someone visually if I say I'm a pole dancer people just think I'm a stripper when they see it they're like ah I get it I I understand what you're doing right Um, Right. not that there's anything wrong with that but yeah no oh god no like strippers are actually really badass strong empowered athletes. athletes yeah yeah 
Yeah, that's so Beautiful. funny you say that though. That's great that you've won this, you know, international competition and you're the best yeah. at your game. But where is my grandchild? Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. And it's exactly. funny because I hear that from so many of like my Nigerian friends and you know other folks. They're like, okay, that's that's cute and all, but where are the babies? <laughs> Where's the husband? Where's the baby? So you know, it's yeah, just exactly. like again that common thread that runs through our families. It's so funny to me. Um, I would love to hear too, um, just a little bit about how, um, how you've been taking care of yourself during, you know, quarantine and COVID. Cause this has just been like, just outrageous. You know, I, I know it had obviously in the U S and I'm, I'm sure it's affected you greatly there in the UK. So I'm, I'm curious to, to hear a little bit about how you've kind of been dealing with that and what you've been doing to take care of yourself. Yeah. Well, firstly, I, th- I'm, I love the reason I love this country in UK is we have a really good uh, national healthcare system, mm-hmm. um, and I'm I'm grateful for that, God, because like some of you know my family members in Nigeria, they don't have access to yeah. what we have, and I'm grateful that we have access to that. So I think without even acknowledging it, knowing I live in a country with such good healthcare system makes me feel a bit more at ease like mm-hmm. i i got i got covid and um oh no i didn't know that wow yeah i got covid and suffered badly there were points i had to go to like the local health center and they're monitoring my oxygen and it got mm. it was bad um but without the system we have in place uh who knows but yeah. so number one i'm grateful for that and that puts my mind at ease during a global pandemic mm-hmm. which um, it might be different in other countries, but yeah. that's fine. And then, but in terms of like everyday self-care, initially yeah. everyone just has that moment. They're like, what the hell has just happened? Um, right. And they have a meltdown. Mm-hmm. So I think my number one advice is just to uh, accept it. You are going to feel bad and shit. Like accept, accept it. With true acceptance, then you can make a plan because people... If you don't accept it, you stay in the state you're in. And that's so true for everything. If you are resisting, if you are sad and you are resisting the sadness, you stay in that state of sadness because you haven't gone, yes, I'm sad. What am I going to do about it? So you haven't taken the next step. So the first thing I've done to practice self-care is accept how I'm feeling and go, yeah, I don't feel great. I don't want to stay here, though. So Mm -hmm. what I'm going to do is make a plan. So mm, may, I, I made a plan so mm-hmm. and um, my plan was like in the first lockdown we had here in the UK, I got, I didn't look after myself. I didn't train once. I was eating bad food. So my skin got a bit bad. So mm-hmm. I, I said, I sat down, I woke up one day. I was like, you know, I don't feel good. I need to do something about this. I don't mm-hmm, feel good. Mm-hmm. So I, ma- I made a plan to make sure I feel good with something every day. So I, the way I practice self-care is I, I wake up and acknowledge how I'm feeling that day. That's the first thing I do. And I say, well, how am I feeling today? Oh, I feel a bit, you know, dehydrated. So whatever I'm feeling, I take action. So if I feel dehydrated, my action for that day is to drink lots of water. Just mm-hmm. small things, because like lockdown and quarantine goes so fast. And you're like, God, but um, small things as just acknowledging what what I feel, oh, I feel like I'm a bit sluggish today. I need to wake up. Let me stick on like a high intensity workout and wake right. up. So it's the, the feeling followed by action to get to a better place is mm-hmm. how I practice self-care. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't have to be really rigid. Like if you're not a person who's very organized, 
then you might get overwhelmed with having a list of things to do a day. So don't do it if you if you get overwhelmed. Just if, just tune into your feelings. I'm feeling sad. I'm feeling lonely. And then just send a message, a DM to someone, or like mm-hmm. I don't know, react to someone's. If if you don't want to talk. Oh, if you don't want to like send WhatsApp messages, react to someone's story, and you know they react back, and you, you feel good or something that's right. going to make you touch in touch with someone. So I think like my daily things are um, speak to somebody, not necessarily mm-hmm. over the phone, or just you know contact someone without just liking things, mindlessly scrolling. Actually right. engage with someone uh on a daily basis and i'm lucky i have clients right so i see them on skype and i can talk to them so that's something engage properly with somebody and then uh, another thing that i do is i make sure i have at least 30 minutes of my own time where i'm not working i'm not Mm -hmm. talking to anyone I'm, i'm i'm just absolutely zoned out whether it's you're watching something really um not like it you don't have to think about it on netflix mm-hmm. just i make sure that's something i do weekly where right. i just completely zone out of everything yeah yeah i love it those are such great tips and i think the thing that stuck out for me the most and that's been like the biggest lesson for me is you know accepting how you're feeling in that moment and and knowing that that's okay knowing it's okay yeah. if you're having a bad day or you just feel shitty or you feel like you don't look great or whatever the case may yeah. be yeah like, and like you said, knowing it, but then not staying there and making a yeah. plan, right? I think even yeah. just doing that can give you enough, you know, of a push to, to get to the next phase. So I, I really appreciate you saying that. Um, so what I wanted to do to transition um, to, to kind of close things out is to yeah. ask, the, I call these like my random questions. So they're just fun <laughs> things, um, you know, no particular, you know, order or reason. Don't get nervous. It's not a test. But, <laughs> oh, God. Um, so... <laughs> I'll start with those. Um, so normally I ask people what their favorite and least favorite lift is, but um, I'm more curious to hear what your favorite and least favorite pole movement is. Ooh, that's interesting. Yeah, see, I told you. You're testing me. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> my quick, favorite. Quick. Okay, 100% my favorite one is something called a shoulder mount. Okay. So that's where, like, if you imagine there's the, the pole there, you're standing facing away from the pole, so your back is towards the pole. Mm-hmm. And you're standing to one side of the pole, and you basically get the pole in your uh, traps. So you're, like, pushing the pole, and you push back, and then you grab your hands behind your head, and then you lift your legs off the floor. Oh, I've like seen that. Straddle, that's hot. <laughs> and then up. That is super cool. I love, I love that, that move. It's core strength, it's arm strength, and it, it it's a good transition move into other cool things up the pole. Mm-hmm. So that's my favorite one. My least favorite one, I have like a uh, hundred least favorite A <laughs> <laughs> hundred least favorite ones. Mm-hmm. Um, but my least favorite one, because not because of how it looks or anything, it's because I can't do it. Okay. Shit. And I was tried. And I, it's one of the ones where I'm like, why can't I do this? I'm strong. What the hell is going on? It's called an Iron X. Iron X? Iron X, like an ironing board, an mm-hmm. Iron X. And mm-hmm. that, that one is basically the human flag, but mm. in, in an X shape. So your arms are out, straddled. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. And I can't even imagine being able to do that. So, yeah, I get uh, it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
it's crazy. So anyone who can do, do that, I love them, but I also hate them. So when you're training, um, what's on your training playlist? What music do you listen to the most? I have a massive eclectic mix of music. Mm-hmm. Uh, you would look at my playlist and be like, what the hell do you like? <laughs> I have dubstep, I have rock, I have heavy metal, I have R&B, I have garage. I honestly okay. have the whole genres. The only genre I don't listen to really is like trance music. You know, that's mm, uh-huh. really where if you're stuck in Ibiza at four o'clock in the morning and it's just like this to me I don't listen to that oh like, like that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah that's not that's not my thing um but I in terms of like artists and things on my playlist it, it's definitely like the traditional ones like Metallica's on there mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. it depends uh it depends on my mood like sometimes I just want really deep if I'm like quite I'm not geared up enough I need like a, a kick I rely on emotions quite heavily to get me mm. through. Mm-hmm. So I need something like meaningful and deep. And there's artists right. like um, there's an artist called Gashi and he's a bit, he's like a bit hip hop, but mm. so, so R and B hip hop. And he, the music's fast paced, but lyrically um, it's, it's got emotion and meaning. Like there's a song where he says, I hope my mum and dad live to see that I've made it. Stuff like that. really really motivates me like lyrical songs that are fast-paced but I can hone into certain words that will kind of go come on stop sitting around do your lifting so Mm, I have to google that yeah 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 Um, I I like that type of stuff cool (laughs) what's your favorite cuss word my favorite what bad word yeah (gasps) oh <laughs> I, and you know, I love hearing people from different places curse because, like, sometimes they are just the most creative, amazing things. And I'm like, what did you just say to me? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, God, I say so many weird, um, and I don't even know I've said it. So it's like when I have to think about it. Um, I suppose the one that I say a lot is boring. I just say, holy fuck. I say that. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I say it all the time. I'm like, holy, anyone, a reaction to when if I love something, if I hate it, it's like the right. standard. Oh, it, holy fuck, yeah. And it's it's multi-purpose. Those are the best ones because they can be <laughs> yeah. they can be positive and negative. So I love it. I love that yeah. one. Um, <laughs> what book have you read that's had a lasting impact on you? Oh, good question. Oh my god, there's there's so many. Uh, my bookshelf is anatomy physiology self-help books oh wow okay thriller thrillers and um like real life books uh, mm-hmm. so the one that i've read that's had a lasting impact on me uh there's a couple there's like there's one called how to win friends and influence people by oh, yeah. dale carnegie and the reason it's had a lasting impact on me is because the fact that i had to read it in the first place because I felt, <laughs> I felt like I had to do that. Um, right. Um, but the philosophy around, the psychology, I suppose, around mm-hmm. human interaction um, and how we overthink things sometimes, yeah. uh, that's, that's just that's had a, a lasting impact. It's, it's a classic and that's great. But a, a, modern, a modern day one that I've read um, that's had a really good impact on me and I think everyone should read it because the whole world is social media right now. There's mm-hmm. an, uh, a lady called Ashley Child. She goes by the name of Dottie. 
and it's a book called Outraged, uh, and mm, it's, okay. um, she is called Outraged, Why Is Everyone Shouting and No One's Talking? Um, and that book's had such an impact on me because it talks about everything in social media, how people deal with it, how people behave to it, and why we should have a different approach. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's one of those books I feel everyone needs to read because it makes so much sense. <laughs> right. Okay, cool. I'll look that one. I'm getting all kinds of good suggestions today. Okay, so it's your last day on earth. Ooh. It's your last meal. Mm. What are you eating and what kind of tea are you drinking? Oh, wow. This is the death row question. <laughs> yes. I just decided not to call it that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 we won't go that But, uh, oh, my God, this is so hard. I would like, can I have a three-course dinner? Yes, this is... absolutely. Okay, yeah. So, firstly, my tea would be it's um, a Yorkshire tea. Mm, okay. uh, so, Yorkshire tea is a proper, it's a northern... UK tea made a place called Yorkshire and it's yeah very it's strong deep brew so it's it's good that's a good tea mm-hmm. um I for oh god for this meal this would be hard but I would have something like really basic nothing mm-hmm. fancy so I would have cereal to mm-hmm. start a bowl of cereal and my cereal would be cocoa pops um, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so that's how basic I am with my mm-hmm. food. But I would I would have cocoa pops to start, nice and sweet and light, um, with oat milk. And then for dinner, for like the main meal, um, I suppose like a staple of mine, I absolutely love. And again, it's so basic, but I love my chicken thighs with garlic seasoning, with broccoli. I would eat broccoli as my last meal. For sure, Girl, I, I have that literally like three times a week. So you ain't got to tell me. <laughs> <laughs> it's a it's a superfood. It's a superfood. Yeah, I love I love chicken thighs. Mm-hmm. I love chicken thighs, broccoli, and I love with whole wheat pasta penne. Mm-hmm. Um, so that would I'd be it, and then I would definitely for dessert have a sticky toffee pudding with mm. ice cream. I love it. That sounds yeah. like a good meal to me, girl. Basically, mm, yeah. <laughs> I love that. Um, <laughs> this is funny. What is the blackest thing you have ever done? <laughs> God. Ah, that is, that is a good question. I mean, a lot of my friends, they're like, you run on Nigerian time. So oh, there you go. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> so I'm in different time zone. They're like, oh, we're having dinner at three and I turn up at five. Uh, that's not, <laughs> it's not, it's just not cool. That's not cool uh, at all. Um, that is hilarious. That's, that's so, and my, it's got to the point my friends tell me the wrong time now. Right. I was uh, going to say, do they tell you like real time to show up or they, the time that they'll they, get you there on time? Yeah, I was early a few occasions because my friend was like a genius and told me the wrong time. But um, yeah, oh God, the blackest thing I've ever done. That is so hard because I've done... So many things. That's a hard <laughs> one to answer. Uh, it, it's it's just got to be like you know, going shopping, actual shopping with like trying on clothes, going to a supermarket with. So when I was younger, I um, used to like perm my hair 
Uh-huh. So, like, um, put the relaxant in my hair to make it. Because uh, I have my afro hair is thick, thick, uh-huh. thick. Like, mm-hmm. thick. I could hide everything in my hair. Oh, I love it. <laughs> it's so thick. So, I, I, when I was younger and, you know, wanting to be, like, you know, what acceptable is. Whatever, yeah. Um, I put this relaxant in my hair uh, and it burns if you leave it on too long, which right. isn't good for your hair. So um, I, I wanted to go shopping. I went to salon and it was all in my hair and I just went full on shopping with this relaxant in my hair. <laughs> the looks, because people don't do that around where I live. The looks. Listen. The I look. have done that with the listen. And I've gone with color in my hair with like the moisture cap on. Yes. <laughs> I was hungry, so I'm like, well, let me go grab something to eat. It's just, yeah, it's so funny. It's just amazing. Like the like I said, just kind of the parallel experiences we've all had. Like that was my mom too. She would not care. She would put her rollers in, baby, put her scarf on, and going about her business. So I love it. Um, so. Oh, okay. This this is one last question. Um, two last questions. Okay, the first one is what? Do you, what's the first thing you're gonna do when outside opens, like when quarantine's over? Yeah. Um, well, I can't wait to just be around people. Mm, but the yeah. very the very first thing uh, I'm gonna do. Oh, the very first because I I I look after my dad, so I see my I've seen my family. But the very first thing that I would like to happen is for all of my family to get together we still like my siblings and mm-hmm. just have uh, loads of food and a big meal that's what i want to happen but in realistic mm. times um it'll be going to the gym <laughs> right exactly i love it i love the it gym. the gym is the first place i'll be what would today sherry tell 10 year old sherry and 20 year old sherry what advice would she give them Oh, wow. Oh, my God. Ten-year-old Cherry, I would say to her, uh, only a small a small amount of information, I'd say, you have no idea of the great things you are going to do. And mm-hmm. it's not even like the potential. It's not even right. potential. I would say to her, you have no idea of how fast the world will change, but you will be able to be part of that change, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, because the 10-year-old Cherry was definitely lacking in like self-belief and self-esteem. So I think even though I got, I got that a little bit from my parents, um, there, there wasn't much thought into what I was kind of capable of, what I was going to do in the future. So I would say, um, you know, keep working because I, you're, you're going to be someone that people look up to there isn't and I would say to the 10 year old girl you know you might be the only one or you might be uh the uh, you might feel alone in terms of representation but you when you turn to a grown woman people are going to look at you and they're going to be inspired by you so I would say that to the 10 year old and then and I'll just say keep having fun and then mm-hmm. uh to the 20 year old gosh i would say stop i would just say stop trying to please people stop be be a bit more selfish mm-hmm. um because i think it when you hit your 20s you you turn into bits of people please and you forget you need to build your own path so i'd say stop trying to please everyone and build your own journey not to please others build your own journey for your sake and your sake only and then the people that are 
is good for you or in your life and that you care about will always be there. So don't worry about trying to please them. I love it. I love it. That was so good. So before we sign out, now we have Mm -hmm. our lightning round and this is just one word. So I'm going to give you a a phrase and I want you to complete it with the first word that comes to mind. You ready? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Strength is. Empowering. Love is. Oh God. One word, love is. Why is that hard? Um, everywhere. Black is. Beautiful. Sherry is. Oh, <laughs> crazy. <laughs> uh, is, Sherry is. I like that. Why is that so hard though? Um, strong, because it means so many things. I love it. That was amazing. This has been an amazing, amazing talk. Like I, I'm just sitting here just all warm and fuzzy. Thank you so much. This has been such an incredible, like I said, such an incredible, you know, re reintroduction to, to, to this podcast. And, you know, and it just reminds me so much of what I've missed about it. So thank you for sharing this time with me. Um, where can people find you on the internet before we uh, head out? Um, well, I'm on Instagram, uh, Sherry underscore Miles, finished mm-hmm. by another underscore. Um, that's me. And you'll find, by going to my Instagram, you'll find everything. So you'll find my own website, which is powerandpole.co.uk. And you'll find my Power and Pole Instagram business account. So, yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much. And now that you've been on here once, you are no longer a guest. You are family. Thank so you. whenever you want to come back, all you got to do is just hit me up and say, girl, I got something to say. I got something to talk about. And we will sit down and do this again and again and again. So I'd love to. I appreciate you, sis. I really do. This has just been beyond like beyond my imagination about how great this this conversation would be. Um, and thank you for thank you to our guests. Thank you for for putting up with me, for being patient with me, for still supporting the page. Like I said, I know I've been gone a while, but I'm so happy to be back and just so happy to be in this space and sharing with you all of the amazing black women that are doing strength sports out there. So until next time, thank you, Sherry. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. We will see you at the ball.